Welcome to this time of worship. Wherever you are, as you listen, we pray you will connect with the living God. Let's sing unto the Lord. call to worship is from Psalm 112. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their, Their children, children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their, Their hearts, hearts are, are secure. secure. They, they will have no fear. In, in the, the end, they, they will look in triumph or their foes. They have, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. 
The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Even though we have all God's assurance of his provision and our victory, we still struggle in this life. Jesus invites us to come to him with those struggles. Let's pray. Father God, we have just confessed that we are tempted to sin. We are also discouraged or deceived into thinking we are unloved. Jesus tells us, you know what we need before we ask, but that we should still ask. And he tells us you're a good father who answers prayer and provides your spirit. Thank you. Amen. I've heard a thousand. 
We've asked the Lord to listen to us. Now let's take some time to listen to the Lord. One of the ways to hear from God is in silence, thinking about who God is, open to what God is saying to us. This is not something that we usually do in a worship service, so let's get into it by using just one minute to be silent, and then the music will start again. Verses 5 through 13. Luke 11, from the New International Version. 
Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The season of Lent begins next Wednesday. In order to get our hearts into the right frame of mind, the conference pastor Leighton Friesen made this video to share with us so that we can understand fasting in a new way. So I'm standing out here in a Canadian winter. It's interesting when you think of it, how often the renewal of the church has happened in kind of desolate, forbidding places, like the wilderness around Mount Sinai, or the regions beyond the Jordan, or the deserts of Egypt. When we want to meet Jesus, we often meet him in these desolate, dry places. I think that is what a fast actually is. It's a way of entering into a desert experience with Jesus together. It's a short time in which we give up food, we deny our physical desires for nourishment in order to seek the Lord in a fresh way. As part of our Come and See season of renewal, I'd like to invite you to consider a fast during the 40 days leading up to Easter. This begins on March the 2nd. Fasting can happen in different ways, but for those of you who are new to this, I would encourage you to start with the basic Christian fast, which is a fast from food. You might go without eating for one day a week, you might spend your lunch hour praying and seeking the Lord rather than eating. Or if you're more experienced in fasting and know your limits, you might go without food for a week. I know of people who fast for 40 days. And if for medical reasons you need to eat, that's no problem. Choose something else that will take you into the wilderness with Jesus together. For Jesus, this time in the wilderness was a time in which he forged his identity, he forged his mission, he steeled his will to do what the Father was calling him to do. And that is what we are seeking in this time of spiritual renewal. And this is why we are inviting you to a fast. If you'd like more information on fasting, on how it's done, talk to one of your pastors. They can guide you or they can point you to some resources. You can also find some resources for fasting on the EMC website on the Come and See page. May we know the fierce love and call of God as we enter with Jesus into this time of fasting. 
may we find there the abundant mercy and grace and provision of God. Blessings. For our announcements today, I have a couple things for you. The first is that we are on for the Valley View Sledding Hill this coming weekend, March 4th to 6th. Uh, we need two to three people per shift, and there's six shifts that weekend. So if that is something that interests you, I encourage you to either get in touch uh, with me or with Emily Wright, and she can find you up there on that hill. It's a great time. I encourage you to sign up. Uh, the next is, is that there will be prayer meeting on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Youth will be at 7.30 p.m. And I am also happy to announce that McGregor EMC is going to be having a missions month from February 27th to March 27th. Uh, we're going to have missionaries coming from uh, organizations here in town, from across Canada, and also across the world. So you are sure to be met with many an interesting thing to learn. I hope you enjoy. Finally, uh, I will be on paternity leave for the month of March. So if you have a caregiving need, I would encourage you to get in touch with one of our deacons, uh, David and Tammy Cruz, as well as Donna Thiessen. If you have a facilities question, get in touch with Ron Sawatsky, and he'll be able to sort that out for you. This includes anything to do with booking. And if you have a question with church business, get in touch with Jeff Thiessen, and he'll be able to sort things out for you there. Oh, and a final point. Uh, there is going to be prayer sisters coming up. Uh, so if you want to sign up for that, the sign up is in the foyer. Uh, if you can't make it for whatever reason, then just let Diana Wright know and she will put your name down. Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we thank you. We thank you for all of the ways that you are faithful to us. We thank you that when we pray, we know you are listening. We thank you that when we pray, we know that you take care of your own, that you think of us as your children, that you tell us to pray with shameless audacity. Lord, we pray that the impact of these words is never far from our hearts. God, as we look at the world around us today, there are many things that we want to bring before you. The first is we want to bring before you what is going on in the Ukraine. Lord, we are a people following you that know that peace is the way. And so, God, we pray that whatever the steps are that need to be taken, that peace could find its way to this situation. Lord, we hope and we pray that they are taken. In the ways that we need to work, God, please call us and show us the way. In the way the leaders need to move, Lord, we pray, guide them. Lord, we pray for the peace that is needed in the Ukraine. In the same way we look to the world around us in our own country that seems to constantly be on edge and constantly be torn up at one another. God, here too we pray for peace, albeit a different kind. Lord, we pray that once again we will be able to see eye to eye. Once again we will be able to look at one another and know that just because we disagree doesn't mean 
that the person on the other side wants to tear everything down. Lord, we pray, help us to be able to see each other as human beings again. Lord, guide us in the way that we need to go for this to happen. And Lord, as we look at our own town, God, we pray that as the restrictions lift over the weeks to come, that you will show us the way to building your kingdom here in McGregor. You will show us what these differences mean. You will show us to what it is that you want us to do. Lord, we have been so excited to follow you in the past up until now. And God, we pray that you light in us an even greater fire as we follow you into the future. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. And now we look to our Lord once more, turning to Luke eleven five to 13, where Jesus says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This passage forms the tail end of a larger section on prayer that begins all the way back at Luke 11, verse 1. There, some disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. It's more than a little likely that what they are asking when they ask that question is actually, how should we pray so that God actually answers our prayers? But what they ask is simply, how should we pray? And Jesus' answer to them begins with the Lord's prayer before moving on to this passage before us now. And in this first part of this passage, what Jesus is trying to say here is rather straightforward. But I do think that us living in the comfort of the 21st century Canada, used to our freedom of religion, and often getting the things we want without too much of a hassle, we lose a lot of the punch our Lord intends. And so to try to reclaim just how big what is being said here actually is, there are some things for us to keep in mind just to help. One thing is to again recall the importance of hospitality that we've talked about for the last couple weeks. We've talked about it a fair amount, so we won't spend too much time here, but some to say very important to being welcoming to others uh, to care for their needs during the time that Jesus is walking the earth. Keep that in mind. Next, another thing that we have not really talked about, at least not for a couple of years now, is just who it is that the run-of-the-mill person Jesus is talking to would be. Because what that person is, is not rich. What they do not have is a nice big house. Some people like Levi, sure, maybe they're doing all right, but most people are not. Palestine is a bit of a backwater in Roman times. Uh, there wasn't much wealth going around there, and the moolah that was largely found its way Rome word bound. So most of the people lived accordingly. One-room houses, uninsulated walls, 
where you could hear anything your neighbor was doing. All the family slept together in the corner of the house so the other corners could be used for whatever else. And more homes than you would think safe all built next to one another, tightly packed in because they didn't have cars so your roads don't need to be as wide then. Also, they didn't have zoning commissions either. If you've ever wondered why there used to be fires that would wipe out entire cities so very often throughout history, this is largely why. There is another thing to know, which is helpful for us to get the full punch of this passage as well, but I'll bring it up when it becomes relevant in just a bit. So for now, just keep these two things in mind, hospitality and the reality of living in peasant housing. And let's go through this first part of our passage again. A man comes to visit you in the night. Interesting already. You are the one doing the acting in this passage, not some other character, but you are. And who is this old friend? Someone from out of town, is all Jesus says. That he is your friend is icing on the cake, because passages like Deuteronomy 10.19 make very clear, when outsiders come into town, you take care of them. To which you, being bound by hospitality need to give this person visiting you something but you have nothing on hand so you go to your neighbor to ask to borrow something simple something small bread now this happens at night so given the time you're asking of your neighbor would have been seen as an unfortunate thing to do an annoyance that you absolutely would have needed to make right with them at some point in the future But also remember that need to be hospitable. This would have been a faux pas on your side asking so late, but also an understandable one. It would be bad form to ask for bread that late, but significantly worse to not have anything to offer to this person that came from so far away. So, friend, you call out to your neighbor. Maybe you are at his door. Maybe you were calling out through a wall. Again, no noise isolation in those days. But that address, friend, that Jesus says that you use there, that is something that we need to keep in mind. We're going to come back to that in a bit. But friend, you call out. Can you give me some bread? I have someone here visiting from far away who needs food. To which Jesus tells us this friend's answer. And here again, keep in mind the living situation of peasant housing. For this person who you are asking's whole family are almost certainly living in that same room they're answering from. What's more, neighbors all around both of you almost certainly are listening in to hear what is going to be said, already likely assuming that they know the answer. And the answer that they are assuming they know is not what... Jesus says, no, the door is already locked and my children are asleep. That's what Jesus says that the neighbor answers like. The implication of that being, I do have the food, but I can't be bothered to get it for you. In a world where the importance of hospitality is a concern front and center in pretty much everyone's mind, that this is the answer given, even though you are asking as rudely as you are, No, that would have been unthinkable. That would have been an absurd way to answer your ask. In a world where it is simply assumed that those living next door can hear what you are saying, imagine now this response, that would absolutely tank your neighbor's reputation. Never would they answer like this, even though the way you are asking is less than ideal. I suspect in our world, where we live in houses where it's easy to pretend you're not home, 
where most people have all the food in the world they could ever need and where inconveniencing other people is almost seen as a sin in and of itself. Some of the absurdity of what Jesus is saying here is lost on us, but we get the basic point all the same. When your friend asks for help, you help them. That is how the world is supposed to work. Even if they ask in a way that's really annoying because of what the situation demands, that doesn't mean that you just say no. To even suggest that would be crazy, would be absurd. And that's Jesus' whole point here in this first part of our passage today. To which our Lord continues to explain the implications of his parable more deeply. So I say to you, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How should we pray is the question the disciples asked that prompted Jesus to give us this parable before us today. How should we pray? To which we are told, this is how you should pray. With the kind of shameless audacity of one willing to ask his friend for food in the middle of the night. Shameless audacity are the actual words that Jesus has used in in verse 8. What does this mean? It means if you have a concern, you are to bring it before God. If you have a praise or a thanks or an anger in your heart for someone or any other of the things that Jesus teaches us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer, you're to bring it before God because he will listen to you because that is what you do when a friend reaches out to you. You respond. For God to simply blow you off when you pray That would be as absurd as your friend blowing you off when you ask him for food for someone visiting. So if you have something in your heart, pray. And pray with shameless audacity even. And while for many of us this teaching may sound like an obvious statement, something that we have been taught all of our lives to the point that we now take it for granted that this is just how prayer is supposed to work, that when we have something on our hearts, we are to bring it before the Lord. Here I want to share with you another thing to think about that I hope will bring the true weight of this teaching of our Lord into sharper focus. Imagine again that you are a first century peasant in Palestine. Chances are good that apart from just knowing about our God, you also know quite a bit about a number of other gods from other religions as well. Particularly those of the Romans and the Greeks, being both of those people are quite common in Palestine. Because both of those people in the past 200 years or so ruled over the place. It's not necessarily that you as a first century peasant in Palestine would have believed in the gods of the Greeks and the Romans, but you almost certainly would have known their stories, their teachings, and their myths, because over time you would get to know the religion of the people that were holding your chains. That's just survival. That's just getting by. And the thing is that both of these groups thought of prayer in a very different way than Jesus is putting before us now. You didn't pray to the gods of the Greeks and the Romans for just no reason. It had to be something worth risking prayer for, and I put it like that on purpose, because the gods of both of these peoples were understood to be 
really fickle. When you did pray, there was ritual involved. There was process to be observed. More often than not, there was personal sacrifices to be made and bargains to be struck. You do this for me, and maybe my firstborn becomes a priest of yours. That kind of stuff. And do any of that wrong, or in a way that wasn't quite up to snuff, and it was understood that it was quite possible that you would have divine consequences for what you did. What this means is that, for the everyman, there was no friendship with the gods of the Greeks or the Romans. They were just taken as a distant fact of being that you needed to take into account. Like how if the weather says rain in the forecast, you bring a coat with you, that kind of thing. You could pray to them, sure, but that wasn't something you did willy-nilly for no reason. That wasn't something you did with shameless audacity. Now read this passage again, and think of that word of address I said to remember from before. How are we to think of the God we talk to when we pray? By how Jesus words his parable as friend. That's how. And not only just friend, but the kind of friend that you can bother for anything. In the middle of the night even, ask and he shall answer. Knock and the door will be opened, we see in the second part here. So for you, a second century peasant steeped in the religions of the world around you, can you begin to see just how big of a passage this is? What our Lord is telling us about who God is here what he is telling us about our relationship with him, what he is compared to those that play at being gods, to the Greeks and the Romans. How should you pray? The disciples asked our Lord, more than likely wanting to know the same thing that all people want to know. The Greeks and the Romans included, how should we pray so that the gods actually answer our prayers? Often is the sum of how Christ replies. And in this answer, Jesus tells these same people a truth that likely they never even thought to ask, but nevertheless was something they desperately needed to know, far more than the answer to the question they actually did put before our Lord. God is not your enemy. He is not disinterested in you. He is not going to bring the hurt if you pray wrong. So how should you pray? Often, because the Lord is your friend. That is what our God is saying here. That is what Jesus Christ is telling us here. To a people used to hearing about how the gods of the occupiers are at best disinterested and at worst are absolute monsters, imagine hearing that. Now imagine being one of those Greeks or Romans when you encounter this teaching of our Lord for yourself. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I do love Jesus' sense of humor. I hope you all do. This whole passage is just soaking in it. From the absurdity of waking your friend up at night for something simple only for him to make a pariah out of himself by saying no, to now saying, picture how terrible this person's father is. Child thought he was getting food. Nope, it's a snake. Just wonderful. 
But it's through this humor that our Lord's point is well made. For who would ever do that? That's not how friends work. That's not how parents work. Not good ones anyway. So for the one who is our Heavenly Father, who we are told by his Son to address as friend, why would we think this is how he would operate with us? Sure, the pretender gods of the other nations pull that kind of nonsense, but that is not who the real God is. That is not who our God is. So why care for all that noise when you can have the real thing, I guess? Once again, how is it that we should pray? Jesus tells us, pray freely. With the openness of one speaking to a friend, to one who loves you as if you were his child, pray in this way, for the Lord will listen. And the passage ends with a foretaste of something amazing that will come up more over the weeks to come, I'm sure. Ask, and God will give you the best gift of all, Christ tells us. The Holy Spirit, free to all who have a relationship with the God who wants a relationship with you. A gift that means God is with you because God is with you. All you need to do is ask. In our passage today, Jesus tells us that we are to pray often and for all concerns. We are to bring all things before our God in prayer. Why? Because God cares for us. We are to call him friend. We are his children and he is our good father. But this magnificent truth I sometimes fear is one that we often need to relearn because for many of us, this is not the kind of relationship that we have with God at all. For many of us, this is not the understanding of prayer that we have at all. Far closer we are to the ancient Romans or Greeks where prayer is something to be done for an express purpose. We want to know either how can we pray so that our prayers are answered, what words should we use? What form should our prayers take? What rituals should we invoke? Or we think a prayer is something not integral to our lives because God is so big and so busy, so what would he ever want to listen to us for? Or, even more problematic still, we think a prayer is something best avoided altogether lest God notice us and to which we will for some reason feel the consequences. But this is not what prayer with the real God is, Jesus tells us in our passage today. This is not what prayer with the one real God is about. This is not who God is or what he is about. When you think about how you should pray, you should think, Jesus tells us, that we should pray often. Why? Because when you pray, Jesus tells us in our passage today, you are talking to a friend. When you pray, Jesus tells us in our passage today, you are talking to your heavenly father who loves you as his own child. So pray, Jesus tells us in our passage today, with shameless audacity. This is what prayer with the one true God is all about. It's all about relationship, not about getting what we want. Though we are told God does take care of his own in the ways that we need it most. That's what receiving the Holy Spirit, if only you ask, is all about. That's what we need the most. It's not about trying to not inconvenience or annoy the Lord with our existence. And it, it doesn't even run the risk of being unfairly cursed from on high when we pray. This is not how things are with our God. This is not how things are with God. God. When we pray, it is about relationship. 
And what is a relationship when there is no communication? So pray often. And with that, here's my assignment for you today. And also for the next month until I get back from paternity leave, I want you to make a habit of blocking off some time to pray. It doesn't have to be long, but try to make it consistent. Try to build prayer into your life like a habit. And I think this will work well with the fasting that Leighton called us to in that video before. Giving something up so that we can focus on our relationship with the Lord. Don't know where you can make time for regular prayer? Why not start there? Take stock of how you spend your days. What things are you doing consistently already? We all have things like that. Then for this time of fasting, give that thing up. And in the time that you would spend on it, that is your new time in prayer. That is your new time to build your relationship with your Heavenly Father, with the one Christ tells us to think of as our friend, as our Father. It doesn't matter if you pray a lot or not at all now. As we go into this time of fasting, now is the time to make a new habit. And so this is the assignment that I set for you in my absence, and I couldn't think of a better one to leave you with. Do you want to bring Bible reading into that time too? Great. But pray, and pray often, and pray with shameless audacity. Follow this lesson from our Lord, and I suspect you will be amazed at where your relationship with God can all go. Our benediction today comes from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go now and serve our God.